Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you once again to, as we often say, lift up your name, for your name is great, and holiness is your name. And so we come before you this morning to praise your name. We know that someday every knee shall bow and come before that great name of Jesus and bow before him and even call him Lord. And so we thank you, Father, that we who have already come to you can come under grace. And those who reject you will come under judgment because at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And so we come, Father, bowing before you, knowing that you are our God and we are your people, that we are sheep of your pasture. And we need that feeding, Father, as we come here each Sunday, of your word, of the great truths of Scripture, the blessings of the Lord, and certainly your personal presence with us in our hearts, in our lives, and in this church family. Even as we go from this place, we might know we've been with God, and that we might go into this new week to live for you, Lord, wherever you placed us. And so we praise you, Father, that you placed us in that family in that school, that workshop, or in that home, just in those places that you know needs a little light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, and you've put us there as your servants. And so bless us, Father, in every way that we might do those things that honor you, where you have placed us, that we might truly be light shining in dark places in this world. So as you come before you, Father, we do notice that the world grows darker, and yet the Lord himself has said, lift up your heads because your redemption grows nearer. And so we lift up our heads and rejoice that you are our Lord and Savior and that we are safe in the arms of Jesus. So bless us, Father, and use us as a worship power that might truly worship you in spirit and in truth. And so we pray for our pastor. He brings that message this morning. We pray, Father, for him. We thank you for his safe return. We thank you, Father, for each need. We thank you, Father, for Jane. We thank you, Father, that she's being blessed and slowly recovering. We pray, Father, for each one, even in our church family who haven't been well. We think of Dave. We think of others. And we thank, Father, for your watch over our hearts even today. We pray for our fellowship. We pray for our board of leadership. And we thank you, Father, for each one there that we might put our trust in the Lord and that we might obey them in such a way that we build a church together, your church together, that many others might find Christ as their Savior and Lord. So bless our church family, Father, even now, and bless us in every way. We do pray for our sick, Father. We've mentioned some, Father. We know there's needs. We know there's shut-ins who cannot be here. And so we pray, Father, for your watch care of each one of us even today. And bless us, Lord, <clears throat> as we're here today, that we might hear your word and take it out of this new week to live for you. For we pray these things in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of James. It's uh, James chapter 4, verses uh, 11 and 12. And I'm actually going to be reading from the, the ESV Bible. So uh, please just, uh, just listen along unless you have an ESV there with you. So it's James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. 
There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to both save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray together. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that though we were sinners, Lord, you have poured out your grace upon us. Lord, though we still sin so often, Lord, you still pour out your grace upon us. Lord, I pray that by your grace, you will help us to extend grace to one another. Lord, that you will help us to live our lives in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, you will help us to be instruments of grace in one another's lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we all have things that other people do that, that push our buttons, don't we? We have those things, those certain behaviors that, that other people do, and, and sometimes they seem to do consistently, if not constantly, that really get our goat. Maybe it's something as small as a husband who doesn't pick up his socks, or, uh, or maybe it's something as, as serious as lying or as gossip. But what you do when you witness such behavior is a testimony to our relationship with each other, our relationship with God's law, and ultimately our relationship with God. And what we do when other people do those things to us is a very powerful testimony of the reality of our relationship with God. All of our relationships are intimately tied together. Remember what James said in chapter 1, verse 26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So often when people do the things that offend us, we, we knee-jerk into, into some form of, of reaction. And you might say, well, I didn't really mean to say that. But in reality, you did, because what you were doing is speaking out what is in your heart. So let me ask you, are you quick to overlook an offense and to forgive your brother, remembering how much God has forgiven you or instead, do you judge your brother? Do you look down on him or her and, or, or measure him and her by your standard? Do you complain about this person to others? Do you gossip about them? Do you murmur against them? Do you criticize them? We all do these things often, don't we? We all fail in the way that we speak to one another. And so James warns us here in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 about the way, that the, way, the way that we speak to each other reflects our relationships. And this is James's logic. He says, when you speak evil of your brother, you are judging your brother. When you judge your brother, you are speaking 
evil against the law. When you speak evil against the law, you are judging the law. When you judge the law, you're making yourself the judge. Therefore, who are you to judge your brother? So what we say about our brother not only reveals the state of our relationship with our brother, and here when I say brother, I'm, I'm using that in the sense of referring to, to Christian brother and sister, but it also reveals our relationship to the law of God and ultimately reveals the state of our relationship with God himself. So first of all, our relationship with our brother. When we speak evil of our brother, we are judging our brother. When we speak evil of our brother, we're judging our brother. So look there, the, the first half, the first part rather of, of verse 11. He says, do not speak evil against one another brothers. Do not speak evil against one another brothers. And, and so what does he mean there? In the NIV, it says, do not slander one another. Do not slander one another. Well, the Oxford Dictionary defines slander as the action or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. Now, slander is, is certainly part of what James had in mind here. The Lord says in Psalm 101.5, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. But I believe there's more than just slander here. The Greek word that's used essentially means to speak against or to accuse somebody. And it, it does often refer to that which is either false or exaggerated, as in the case of slander, but I believe it's, it's much bigger than that. It, it encompasses all forms of evil speech against another person. So it can include things like, uh, like challenging legitimate authority, such as when the people of Israel spoke against God and against Moses in Numbers 21.5. It includes gossip, which, which unlike where slander is, is false information, gossip is actually factual information, and it's equally sinful. But I don't believe it stops with, with that either. You may not be speaking evil about the person, but speaking evil to the person. And so when you, when you confront somebody with something that, that you perceive is sinful, but is by your standard instead of by God's standard, this is what James would have had in mind when he's talking about evil speaking. It can also include insulting somebody. It can include talking down to somebody and, and not viewing them as being as valuable as you are because of, of your frame of reference of what, of what you think is valuable. And this is what, what James was talking about here in James chapter one, sorry, James chapter two, verses one to thirteen, when he talked about the way that the people in the church were, were looking down on people because they were poor. But maybe it's not because of of poverty. Maybe it's because of, of perceived intellect or some form of social status or the type of work that they do. But whatever the reason, whatever we do when we, when we talk down to somebody or look down on somebody because of these, these arbitrary things that the world 
presents as being valuable, we are judging by a standard that does not line up with God's word. We need to remember here what, what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now the NIV here says of, of that passage, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. That is actually a more accurate translation. Raka was actually an, an Aramaic um, term of contempt. An Aramaic term of contempt. It's basically, to say Raka to somebody means that you are calling them worthless. Now, if you remember, I, I, when I preached on this passage last year uh, from, from the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about how insulting somebody could cause you to be brought before the Jewish council. And the Pharisees knew that, that, that insulting somebody was wrong and that it was a bad thing to be brought before the Jewish council, but they did not consider the judgment that comes from God. So you remember I explained that, that, by, that they were taking away from the word of God by doing this, they completely ignored the most serious of consequences for sin, judgment from God. You see, whatever a court of law could throw at you is nothing compared to God's holy and perfect justice. So Jesus was teaching that to, to, to call somebody a fool, to call somebody a fool, actually puts you in danger of hellfire. That is how seriously God takes the sin that we commit with our mouths. According to God's holy, righteous judgment, our sinful judgment of our brothers is akin to murder. So when we judge somebody like this, we're committing murder in our hearts. Have you called anybody a fool lately? When we speak evil against somebody, we're revealing what's going on in our hearts towards that person. Simply put, when you speak evil or judge your brother in your heart, you're committing spiritual murder. But in this passage, James call these, calls these people brothers. He calls them brothers. He says, brothers. What, don't do this. And notice there that, that he's, he's saying that the people that they're speaking against are also brothers. So this is brother speaking against brother, brother speaking evil of their brother. So Christians here are murdering other Christians in their hearts. It's the same theme that James spoke about in chapter 4, verse 2, where he says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. It's fratricide, killing not just anyone, but killing your brother, doing spiritually what Cain did to Abel in the flesh. But this isn't just a flesh and blood, and flesh and blood brother. 
This is a brother who has been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So why do we do it? Why do we speak evil about other people? Because it makes us feel better about ourselves? Because maybe we want to to bring people down to our level? To get back at others who have hurt us? To make us feel better about our sin? Maybe to feel important before other people because we have some tidbit of juicy information? But all these things not only reveal our heart relationship with our brother, it also reveals our relationship to the law. So when we speak evil against our brother and judge our brother, we're speaking evil against the law and judging the law. So what we're doing when we, when we judge this person is we're actually setting ourselves above this person and looking down on them. We, we tend to think that whatever it is that the other individual has done is so bad that we have to spread it. Or maybe we, t- we take the law into our own hands and we feel that, that we have to get justice. So we're acting here as judge and jury and executioner. Brothers and sisters, that is not our job. Please turn with me in your Bible to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. In verse 16, we read, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. This passage was very likely in the forefront of James's mind as he penned these words. So in this section of Leviticus, we're, we're seeing here the laws that are governing the relationships in the covenant community of Israel. Verse 15 says, You shall do no injustice in court. You should not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Church, this points to our covenant community with our brothers and sisters right here. But it's the, it's the, the new covenant in the blood of Christ that James has in mind here. We are under the covenant of Christ's blood. So in that covenant, we are to judge righteously. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. Note there that in verse 17, it's identified as an issue of the heart. You shall not hate your neighbor in your heart. And then in verse 18, we see what what this is supposed to look like. The, The positive side of it, he says that you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, I am the Lord. And if you remember back in James chapter 2, verse 8, James referred to this as the royal law. The royal law. And he says that in in James chapter 2, that if we keep the royal law, we're doing well. But when we don't keep the royal law of loving our neighbor as ourselves, We are being convicted by that royal law as sinners. Likewise, in James chapter 4, when we don't 
keep the royal law in how we speak to or about each other. We are convicted by the royal law as sinners. So what's happening here is when people are are looking down on or judging their brothers or sister in Christ, they're judging them by a law that is, is separate from God's law, all the while they themselves are being convicted by God's law. And James says that that this amounts to speaking evil against the law and about judging the law. So again, we do this when we judge by our standards. If you remember, I've shared this this illustration with you before, but but when I was a phys ed teacher and I taught I taught long jump, I I'm really I'm not a very good jumper. And I would would I knew that the mechanics of it, but as far as the, the, the I guess the fast twitch muscles in my legs would would not enable me to to ha- have the power to be able to jump to be able to jump a, a long distance. But when I was teaching little grade one kids how to jump, and they they would they would jump maybe a meter. If I could jump four meters, I looked really good compared to them. But the world record is about eight meters. So all of a sudden, I'm not looking so good anymore. That's what happens. We compare ourselves to each other. And so we look down on each other because of these these arbitrary measurements. But what we're really supposed to be doing is measuring according to God. What is required is absolute perfection. So to put this in, in long jump standards, and this, is, this, this illustration is going to fall short here, but, but it would be like jumping from here to Vancouver is what we, we would be required to do if we were going to obey like the, like the Word of God calls us to obey. That's what God's standard is like. And none of us measure up to that. So when we judge people according to our standards, our very low and pitiful standards, what we're doing there is we are speaking evil against the law. Instead of going to God's word and letting it set the standards, we're judging by our standard. And it reveals a misunderstanding and a misapplication of the law. The law was never supposed to function for that purpose. So we cease to be a doer of the law, but a judge. So what do you call somebody who is not a doer of the law? A sinner. So how can a sinner possibly be in a position to be able to to judge somebody else in this sense? This is the, the proverbial pot calling the kettle black. We need to go to something outside ourselves, above ourselves in order to have a right standard of judgment. And we especially need to be careful that we are not judging people for doing the same things that we do ourselves. Paul spoke of this hypocritical behavior in Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 24, in part of his his indictment against the entire human race. Romans 2, 17. Now, if you call yourself a Jew... If you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, 
If you know his will and approve what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide to the blind and a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have the in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? And he goes on to say, likewise, for, for adultery and idolatry. But this, this principle can be applied here as well. It applies, it, it applies to those who are dishonoring God's law and break God's law in the way that they speak to their brothers and sisters. Those who speak evil against them are actually committing murder in their hearts. And so they're being convicted by the same law that they're claiming to know. And we do the same thing. We do the same thing whenever we dishonor one another in this way. We need to ask the question here, how would, how would you fare if you were to be judged by the same standard that you, that you impose on other people? How would, you be, how would you fare if you were to be judged by God's standard? But beloved, God's standard is applied to us. We are judged according to God's standard. And the law requires perfect love towards our neighbors. Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. But when we fail at any point, and we all fail often, we are guilty before God and justly deserving of the full penalty of his wrath, eternal death. The wages of sin is death. So you can see then that the way that we speak to others also reveals the reality of our relationship with God. Because when we judge the law, according to James's logic, we are making ourselves the judge. Brothers and sisters, there is only one judge, only one judge, and you're not him. Isaiah 33, 22 says, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver. So when we judge each other like this, we're setting ourselves up as God. But rather than trying to, to usurp God's authority, we should be bowing the knee before God. We should be humble before our brothers and sisters in God's holy presence. James writes in chapter 5, verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now the context here in, in all of James, and it's there particularly in James chapter 5, is, is patience in the midst of suffering. Patience in the midst of suffering. So maybe you are in a situation where somebody is treating you really poorly. Maybe you're in a situation where somebody is sinning against you consistently. So maybe they really are guilty here according to God's law. 
But resist, resist the temptation to make yourself the judge in this situation. Resist the temptation to, to be also the jury and the executioner. Commit your way to the Lord and trust that he is a righteous judge and he will vindicate you. Look to the example of Jesus Christ in this. When the sheep before the shears was dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Remember last week when we, when we talked about the, the, the horrific way that Jesus was treated, not just in the crucifixion itself, but in the events leading up to the crucifixion. He didn't defend himself because he knew who he is. Jesus knows who he is. If Brothers and sisters, if you know who you are in Christ, it does not matter what people do or say to you. Because you know that you are a child of the Most High God. And you can be free from whatever insults, whatever abuses people are hurling at you. You don't need to take the law into your own hands. Again and again, I, I read in the, the voice of the from the voice of the martyrs about our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering shameful abuse. They're being imprisoned. They're being tortured. They're being beaten, and they're being killed simply because they are Christians. And if anybody would have a right, if anybody would have a right to, to be judged during as an executioner against, against the, the, the perpetrators of these horrific crimes, it would be them. But they don't. And why is that? It's because they're looking to their Lord and Savior. Because they're looking to Jesus Christ to his example in the midst of these things. So we don't need, we don't need to spread what somebody else is doing to us. We don't need to go talking about other people's failings. We can leave it to the Lord because he is the one who is able to both save and to destroy. So why would you destroy someone, speaking here about your brother, why would you destroy someone with your words for whom God died to save? Who are we to judge our neighbor? I just want to interject for a moment here to ask the question, is all judging wrong? Are all forms of judging wrongs? In this, in this passage, James is actually judging sinful behavior. So is James being a hypocrite here and telling us not to do something and then doing it himself? Look back for a second into James chapter 4, verse 4. Because some people will say, well, well God tells us to, to judge the sin, but not to judge the sinner. Is that really true? 
Well, James 4.4 would seem to say differently. Because in James 4.4, he calls the church adulterous people. He's not merely judging their behavior. He is judging the person. So is James being a hypocrite here? You need to be very careful because there is a particular type of judging that James is addressing in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 that reveals itself in evil speech. Last year we looked at, at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6 when we studied the Sermon on the Mount and asked the question, how many of you have shared the gospel with somebody only to be told, judge not lest you be judged. And the same thing might even happen when you, when you go to a Christian and confront them about their sin. But again, is this a blanket condemnation of all judgment? So what about our passage here this morning? Is this, a, is this a blanket condemnation of all judgment? It can't be because just earlier in the chapter and right here, James is modeling for us judgment. But it's a different kind of judgment. It's a different kind of judgment. It's, it's, it's a judgment that comes when you're not concerned about yourself and your rights. It's when you're concerned about God's glory, when you're concerned about the purity of the church, when you're concerned about the eternal soul of the person whose sin you're witnessing. Now, I don't know about you, but I am very sensitive to perceived injustice, especially, especially when it's inflicted against me. And so I'm not just talking to you here. I'm speaking to myself. That's why I'm very conscious to say we, because we all do this. But again, we need to, to stay our minds on who we are in Christ. And then we're free to be able to respond in love. We're free to be able to, 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 to talk to somebody about their sin with a heart that is really for them and for the glory of God. So when somebody says to you, judge not, lest you be judged, you realize there that, that they're actually judging you in that same sentence. They're actually judging you for doing what they're telling you not to do, what they, what they don't want you to do. And Paul Washer quips here that when somebody says to you, judge not, lest you be judged, he says, do not quote scripture out of context, lest you be like the devil. So we need to understand, I mean, even the devil knows God's word and he knows, he knows how to use it, but he does not know how to, to, he does not, well, whether he knows how or not is another story, but, but he does not use it in its proper way. We need to think about these things in their context. So there in, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, Jesus isn't saying don't judge at all. He's saying judge righteously. He's saying judge righteously. So is James saying here that we are never to judge others? No, he isn't. He's speaking about the kind of judgment 
that comes from a proud and arrogant heart. So where does that leave us? Where does it leave us? Because we've all displayed pride and arrogance at some point. Some of us have done it in the last hour. We've all spoken evil against our brothers. We've all judged our brothers and sisters from a wrong heart. And what does this tell us about our relationship with God? Our failure to relate to our brothers and sisters properly betrays a failure to relate to God's law properly and a failure to relate to God properly. You see, when, we could, when we're confronted with these things, when we see our sin in these things, it shows us our need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It leaves us with only one way to relate to God, through Christ. You see, we, we, can't, we can't undo what we've already done. Our, our behavior towards each other often makes us guilty. We can't undo that. And judgment is going to come because of our words. Matthew, Matthew 12, 36 and 37, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. God is a holy God. And he is not lenient with sin. He's not lenient with sin. Every sin must be punished. Every single sin. Every time that you have said something inappropriate to somebody else requires justice. God's justice. God's horrible, in the awesome sense of the word, justice. All sin is going to be punished. You will either be punished for every single sin that you have ever committed for all eternity in hell or else every single sin that you ever committed has been placed on Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So as we think about these things, as we think about our own failures, we need to, to we need to let them let it let the, our failures cause us to, to flee to Christ, to go to Him. We can't ever write our relationship with God ourselves, even if we were somehow to obey perfectly for the rest of our lives, and we can't do that, can we? Even if we were to do that perfectly, we would still have the problem of all of our sin. And not just the stuff that we did before coming to Christ, the stuff that we did this morning. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ every bit as much today as we did when we were first saved. 
however long ago that was. When Christ died on the cross, the Father's wrath was poured out on him in the place of his people. It's called propitiation. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But Jesus rose on the third day. He was vindicated. God was pleased with the sacrifice. And so the son was raised from the dead. Likewise, we who are in Christ also will be vindicated. We also will be raised from the dead. To be united with God for all eternity. But it is not only through the death of Christ that you find forgiveness. It's not only through the death of Christ that you find forgiveness. It's also through his perfect life. He is the only way to a right relationship with God. He is also the only way to a right relationship to the law. Because Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. Perfectly. In thought and in word and in deed. And when you put your trust in him, his perfect record is transferred to your account. It is as though you obeyed and did everything that Jesus did. That's imputation of Christ's righteousness. Every perfect word that he spoke, every time that he didn't speak when he could have, is all transferred to your account. And there are some here who have not had Christ's perfect record transferred to their account. There are some people here whose guilt remains. There are some people here who are still under the wrath of God. And beloved, God has given me the message of reconciliation. If you're a Christian, God has given you the message of reconciliation. God is making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. But I am trusting here that, that, that most people in this room have really repented. Most people in this room are truly born again. They are trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And his righteousness really has been given to them. But again, like I said a few minutes ago, we still need the gospel. We still need it. And it's only through a right relationship with Christ that we can have a right relationship with our brother, as well as with the law, and as well as with God. The gospel is the only way to a right relationship with our brother. We need to make a practice of confessing our sins quickly, going to the people that we have sinned against, 
confessing it and asking for their forgiveness. Christ also provides our our motivation and our standard. Christ provides our motivation and our standard. In Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32, we read, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Brothers and sisters, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How did God forgive you? How did God forgive you? By pouring out grace and mercy, grace and mercy, grace and mercy. And the more that you sin, the more that God's grace abounds. And God doesn't ever throw back your sin in your face. He has separated it as far as the east is from the west. That is how we are called to forgive one another. If you have really forgiven somebody, you will not bring it up with them again. You will not allow your mind to to go back and to think about, oh, they've done it again. They've done it again. Because that is not the way God forgives us. As God in Christ forgave us. But not only does does the gospel provide the, the motivation and the standard, the gospel also provides the power. It provides the strength to obey. No matter how hard you try to stop doing mean things to other people or saying mean things to other people or about other people, you can't do it. You can't do it. Because it's coming from your heart. We need God to do it in our hearts. And then the fruit of that will be a change in what we say to each other. We need God's strength to work in us so we confess our weakness to him and then pour ourselves out on him, asking his strength to fill us. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. Consider what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, resurrection power is at work in you. It's at work in me. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to us. We have all the resources that we need to be able to obey God, to be able to love one another no matter what they do or say to us, to be able to speak a kind word to somebody who has just said the most vile thing to you, just like Jesus did. 
because his Holy Spirit is at work in his people. So I pray that we would be a people who would be characterized by abundant love towards one another. That we will seek opportunities to identify evidences of grace in our fellow believers. And that when we need to go to somebody to talk to them about their sin, that we won't go to other people about it. That we'll go to God about it. We won't say to people, oh, I need you to help me to pray for this person. That we'll pray for this person. That we'll go to God for the strength to be able to do what we could never do ourselves, that we will be a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ in one another's lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us to tremble under your word and, Lord, also to be uplifted by your word. I pray, Lord, that, that those who are here, who, whose lives are characterized by sinful speech and sinful behavior, those who are not truly born again, that you would empower them to turn from their sin and turn to you. Likewise, Lord, I pray for those of us here who are truly born again but still fail so often. And we all fail so often. Lord, I pray that you will help us to repent of our sin and to draw on your strength and to put off sinful speech and to put on loving speech. That you will help us, Lord, to put away all the sinful things that we say and do and in the strength that you give to put on the righteousness of Christ and to live out the righteousness of Christ in this world. We pray this all in the most powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.